The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church. It's my privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning and uh, preach from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to the Gospel of Matthew. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles available for you as a gift. So if you'd like to follow along and you don't have a Bible, just slip your hand up in the air and Massimo in the back has Bibles that he can give to you. We would love to give that to you as a gift. Um, <clears throat> we are back in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Uh, we, If you have been with us for a little while, you know that Several weeks ago, we were studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, going through Matthew, what is that, 5, 6, and 7, right? And so we went through 5, 6, and 7, and we went really slowly through 5, 6, and 7, and then we jumped to Malachi, and now we're jumping back to Matthew, and we're going to take our time going through Matthew, except when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to skip over that because we already did that. So uh, we're going to be starting here in Matthew chapter 1 today. And uh, we are beginning a new series, and we are calling this series uh, Promises Fulfilled, a King for All Nations. Promises Fulfilled, a King for All Nations. So Matthew chapter 1, first book in the New Testament, follow along as I read. And uh, yeah, then we'll dive in. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez and the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the, deport after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this morning to be gathered together in your presence. Thank you for welcoming us here in your Son, that we might exalt you in praise, and that we might cast our cares upon you, and that we might sit under the teaching of your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us to teach us from your word, to prepare our hearts to uh, love Jesus and to exalt him in our lives. We pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to comprehend everything that you would have to teach us. We thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So, we live in an era of streaming television, whether it's Netflix or Disney Hotstar or whatever programs you have or subscriptions you have. We're in a series or in an era of TV streaming. Before streaming, you had to wait week to week to watch television shows, right? And you had appointment television where you had to wait and anticipate a new episode coming out. One of my favorite shows before the era of, the era of streaming was lost. And every week before uh, a new episode aired, you would have somebody come on the screen and say previously on Lost. And there would be about a 30 to 90 second clip of things that you needed to know that had happened in the story previously so that you could understand the next 45 minutes of the story. And so always reminding you, here's what happened in the past so that you can understand what's about to happen in the next episode. We get to the Gospel of Matthew, and essentially what's happening here, Matthew is saying previously in the Old Testament. And the way that he recaps everything that happened before is he begins to just give us names. He gives us the names of Jesus. He's Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives us this genealogy of names. So as we go through the names and we consider these names, we're asking the question, what's in a name? What do the names teach us about who Jesus is and what Matthew is intending to teach us in his gospel? There's two things I want to do this morning. One, I've already stated, I want to kick off our study in the gospel of Matthew. This is kind of, you know, giving the kickoff. It's sending us in a direction as we study the gospel of Matthew. But we're also in a period of Advent as we prepare for Christmas. We have Christmas in what? Three weeks? Two weeks. Today's December 11th, right? Wow. Two weeks until Christmas. And this period of Advent, we anticipate the celebration of Christmas. And so, you know, as we come into the beginning of the gospel, we want to prepare for Christmas. So we're preparing for the study of the Gospel of Matthew, but we're also preparing for Christmas. So as we think about this Christmas story, as we anticipate the, the birth of Jesus, as we consider the Gospel of Matthew, that it is a book about promises fulfilled, a king of all nations, we would do well to skip to the back of the book, right? I remember, you know, when I was young and I thought that I was like really cool, I would always go to the back of a book to read the last page so I knew how it ended because I just thought that was cool. I don't know why. But the Gospel of Matthew tells us something in the very last few verses of his gospel when he tells us that uh, Jesus came and said to his disciples, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. I'm going to show you in just a moment that Matthew begins with a focus on Jesus as a promise being fulfilled for all the nations. Matthew ends his gospel with a command, a commission, to go and proclaim this news to all nations. And as we consider that everything in the gospel of Matthew is is bookended, is bracketed by this emphasis on Jesus being a king for all nations, then we we have to read and interpret this genealogy with that in mind. That this is that Jesus, his arrival, is not just for the the Judean people, not just for the Old Covenant people, but it is for all peoples. So as we go through here, we're going to look at three things. One, we're going to look at the reasons we celebrate Christmas and the reasons that, that we should rejoice in this time. Number one, we're going to do this because of who Jesus is, because of who the Christ is. Number two, we're going to rejoice and celebrate Christmas because of God's faithfulness to his promises. And third, we're going to rejoice and celebrate because the nations are brought in to be God's people. So, we celebrate Christmas because of who Jesus is. Let's just begin at verse 1, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's in a name? What's in a name? Jesus Christ. Uh, without breaking things down too much and, and, and being too reductionistic, it, we, we just look at the names and the names tell us something about the nature and character of Jesus. This character, this real person who is born that Matthew is telling us about, his names tell us something. Jesus, uh, similar to the, the Old Testament name Joshua, Hebrew Yeshua, Meaning, literally, Yahweh saves. God saves his people. Should I go handheld? Yeah. Alright. Sorry for this interruption. Technical difficulties going on. We good? All right. So, what's in a name? The name Jesus literally could be understood to mean Yahweh saves, God saves, right? So, God saves. Christ is the the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah, meaning the anointed one, right? So, there's something very unique about this person, Jesus. He is going to save his people. He is the anointed one of God. Secondly, we're told he's the son of David. And for Judean readers, people familiar with the Old Covenant, when they hear that he is the son of David, their mind is going to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God makes a promise to King David that he will establish David's throne forever. 
and that his offspring will always sit on that throne. So we have a big promise here that this is the anointed one from God who's going to save his people and who is going to be a king in the line of David. Not only is he going to be a king, but he is also going to be a king that is going to be a blessing to all nations because he's the son of Abraham. God promised Abraham that it was through him, through his seed, that all nations would be blessed. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and read these promises that God made to Abraham. And, and now Matthew is zeroing, zeroing in our focus on this person of Jesus Christ, who has been sent to save God's people. He's the anointed one. He is the king who is going to sit on the throne. He is for all nations. Uh, before, when I've taught this, I've used three words that help us remember these things. He, he is royal. He's the king. He is global. He's for all nations. And I added this one in. He's eternal. You see, when God promised David that he would establish his throne, he said that there would be an offspring of David who would sit on his throne forever. Most people ordinarily, commonly, and why wouldn't we think this way, thought that that meant that there would be a continuing line of David, right? Uh, a son who had another son who had another son. There would always be a king sitting on the throne. It would be David's throne. But what we're going to learn about Jesus is that Jesus himself is eternal. Jesus will sit on this eternal throne eternally. There is no other king to follow Jesus. So he is a royal, global, eternal person. All from the first verse. That's previously on, right? It sets us up, and now we see this is who this person is that we're talking about. So we celebrate Christmas. We rejoice at this time because of who Jesus is. But we also, when we look at this genealogy, we're able to celebrate and rejoice because we see that God is faithful to his promises. I mean, certainly within the names of the son of David and the son of Abraham, we see that God is being faithful to promises he's made to David and that he's made to Abraham. But then as we start going through all these names in the genealogy, we begin to be reminded of all the promises that God has made to his people over the years and that he's fulfilling his promises, that we can say he is sovereign over this whole plan, that God is providentially providing people throughout history who fulfill God's plan. It's never in doubt. And this genealogy remind us, reminds us that God's plan is never in doubt. This genealogy from verses 12 all the way through to verse 16 has three movements. It begins with Abraham and goes through the birth of David. And then it goes from David as king all the way to the deportation to Babylon. And then from the deportation to Babylon until the birth of Jesus. And Matthew tells us that each one of these movements contains 14 generations. These generations point to the fact that this is God's perfect plan of time, that there is a fulfillment of time, that it is time for his anointed one to come. 
There is a perfect plan at play. As we go through these movements, each name reminds us of God's faithfulness to his people. I mean, here at GCC, we've spent significant time studying the book of Genesis. We, we did it in three different periods over the last five years. And so if you've been with us the whole five years, you may remember a lot of Genesis. If you've been with us in the last year and a half, you've at least heard the last half of Genesis. And so you hear these names and you're reminded of God's faithfulness to his people as we talk about people like Jacob and Judah and the story of Tamar and the stories of Rahab. Uh, we, we've, uh, sorry, uh, of Ruth, how we, we studied the book of Ruth and we're reminded of how God was faithful to his people through Ruth and Boaz and ultimately today. But we, we remember stories associated with their names. The original audience that Matthew was writing to, when they heard these names, they would, they would have these same memories coming back. They would remember episodes in the history of their people, and they would remember God's faithfulness. We can take comfort and we can celebrate and rejoice because God's faithfulness is not a new concept. As Jason prayed earlier, God doesn't change. He's always been faithful. He's always had a plan. He's never deviated from that plan. It's always been this way. Certainly, the people that he has been faithful to may be fallen creatures, may be broken people, making decisions that are, from our vantage point and from God's vantage point, selfish and cruel, and yet God in his goodness remains faithful. I mean, just think about this genealogy. There are people in it who are royal, right? We have David. We have a king. And following David, we have lists of kings. But we also have people who are wretched, people of ill repute, stories that make us blush. Like, do we really need to get back into the story of uh, Judah and Tamar? I don't really want to revisit that. That was one of the toughest sermons I ever had to preach. It is crazy stuff. It, it's part of God's plan. There's men and women in this story. Now, it's, I was reminded this week that it may not be all that odd to have women in the genealogy, but the women that are mentioned uh, are women that certainly may raise some questions. For example, uh, uh, Rahab was a woman who is called a prostitute in the book of Joshua. Well, certainly, that raises questions about her character. But, you know, we even have a guy like David who is a king. And yes, we are told in the Old Testament that at one point he's identified as being a man after God's own heart. But then later in his story, he commits, he commits wicked sins. And he has a man killed so that he can take that man's wife. I mean, it's just awful and terrible. And yet, God is still working to establish his plans through them. Not only do we have kings and low, lowly people, we have men and women, we have Jews and Gentiles in this genealogy. We have people who are from the, the Judean bloodline, 
But we also have people who are not of these covenant people. For example, Ruth, she was a Moabitess. She was someone who was not part of the original covenant people, but she was brought in. There was mercy and grace shown to her. And so as we go through this list, there may be names that we're familiar with that remind us of God's promises. There may be names on here that you've never heard of before, and that's okay. The original audience, when they heard these names, they were reminded. They may have been familiar with names that you're not familiar with. They may, they were all encouraged to remember God's faithfulness as these names were rehearsed. These 14, the first 14 generations, and the second 14 generations, and the third 14 generations show us that God is faithful to his promises and he's doing everything in his perfect timing. He is king and sovereign and providential over history, and it is time for his anointed one to come and save his people. And it's interesting how he talks about Jesus saving his people. We're told in verse 12 that after the deportation to Babylon, right, it's following this, it's following this exile from the deportation to Christ. 14 generations. If you remember, just previously, we were studying the, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And one of the things going on during Malachi's time was that people who had been in exile were returned to the promised land. And yet, when they were in the promised land, things weren't, didn't seem right. Like they went back and it just wasn't the way it was before. Well, even though the people were in the land, there was something that was off. And what was off was God was yet to fully restore them from their spiritual exile. They had been physically exiled, but it is Jesus who will bring his people all the way back to the Father. So we celebrate Christmas because of who Jesus is. We rejoice at this time because of who he is. And we celebrate because the Father, God the Father, is faithful to all his promises and finally, we rejoice because it is Jesus who will deliver all of God's people from spiritual exile back to him. Jesus is the focal point. He is the one who does all of these things. He is the one that we set our hope on. He is the one that we look to because he is the one who cares for us. In preparing the message this week, as I was talking about and thinking about uh, Jesus being king, Someone raised the question, I think it was Patrick, raised the question, what good is it that Jesus is a king? Because we know kings in the modern era who we, maybe we don't have that high of esteem or that high of regard for. Kings that live for their own benefit, but they don't care about the people that are subject to them. They're not gracious kings. They're not good kings. What good is it that Jesus is king? Why is that a good thing? Why should we celebrate that? We should celebrate that because Jesus, the eternal king, the gracious king, he is the son of the father who created all things. We're told that through him, everything that exists was created. At the end of the book of Matthew, we're told that 
all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And he loves us. One of the things I've noticed as I've read history is ordinarily kings of this earth, they love themselves. And they seek to make a big deal about themselves at the cost of trampling on their enemies. But the plan of Jesus as king is not that he would trample on his enemies, but rather that he would lay down his life so that his enemies might be redeemed and that he can call them friends. Jesus is a king who has come for all people, not for just one group, not just for Judeans, not just for old covenant people. He has come for all peoples, all nations. So it doesn't matter what nation we call home. It doesn't matter what language we speak. We can all be accepted by Jesus because Jesus laid himself down as a substitute for what you deserve. What do you deserve? You deserve to be squashed, to be crushed, to be utterly destroyed because as creatures of God, those who have been created by God, we have rebelled against him. We have committed treason. When we seek after our own pleasures and our own desires, when we seek after our own good above anyone else, we are rebelling against a holy creator, God. We deserve to be squashed. The scriptures tell us that everyone has sinned. There is no one who has done right. And we are told that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to be crushed. And yet this king that God sent, his son, who would save his people, the way that he chose to save his people from God's wrath against sinners is that he put himself in our place. He bore the punishment that we deserve. That he who knew no sin became sin on our part that we might receive the gift of righteousness so that we could be accepted into this kingdom of Jesus. That's why, that's why we rejoice, because he's not a king who's selfish, but he is a king who comes in self-sacrificial love to draw people in, to exalt the goodness and the glory of God, the Father Almighty. We get to this genealogy and it ends with Jesus. Every name in the genealogy is there to point us to Jesus. And from Jesus' life forward, uh, Jesus does not have children. There's nothing in Jesus' story that tells us that he was ever married. He wasn't married. He never had relations with a woman, so he didn't have physical offspring. And yet, we are told later in the New Testament that he is the groom and the, his bride is the church. His bride is the church. He loves us, the church. And so every name before him points to him. And now every name in the church should point back to him, point up to him. And so today, those of us who are part of the church, we are named by Christ. We are called to him. We 
have this privilege of pointing people to Jesus. Just as people like Manasseh and Hezekiah and Zerubbabel had the opportunity for their lives and their story to point people to Jesus, our lives have the opportunity to point people to Jesus as well. So that those who don't know this gracious king can celebrate under his rule. That as he seeks to deliver us from our exile, being separated from God the Father, we can rejoice as people come in to this eternal kingdom. Where do you fit in in this story? Who are you pointing to Jesus? Perhaps you're here this morning and you find yourself outside the kingdom. You're not sure of who this king is. You're, you're not sure that you can trust this king. You're not sure that this king, Jesus, is one worth surrendering to and living for. Let me just encourage you that today is a day to come to grips with his identity, who he is. He is the eternal king. He is the one who was sent by God to fulfill all promises that God has ever made. When we, are, we were told in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus said, I did not come to abolish everything that came before me. I came to fulfill everything. I did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's the point of Jesus coming. That's why we celebrate. Everything, every hope, every expectation that we have for all the promises that God makes to us, all the good promises, everything is answered to us, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ. So whatever issue you face at this Christmas time, the answer is in Jesus. Whatever challenge you face, whatever struggle you're facing, you can find hope and assurance as you trust in Jesus. So what? Maybe one of the reasons you struggle today is because you just simply don't believe that Jesus is for all nations. Maybe you just don't believe that he can really save and redeem and restore and reach people from every tribe and tongue and background, but he does. That's the promise. His story and his kingdom has spread for over 2,000 years as people turn to him and trust him above trusting themselves, trusting his goodness and his, his grace instead of trusting themselves. Why is it that people can trust him? Because when he paid that price for our sins, he was buried, he died, but he rose again. He has life. And that life is an eternal life extended to all those who would receive him. Perhaps you're struggling because you don't trust that God is faithful to his promises. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to and you're blaming God for something that hasn't gone the way that you want it to go in your life. Maybe there is a, a job you wanted or maybe a relationship that you wanted or maybe there's something that you're seeking after that's just not happening the way you want to and you're blaming God for it. But let me reassure you this morning that God has plans for you, plans that are good in Christ 
He wants to make himself known to you through Christ, that you find your joy and your hope and everything in him and not in all these other things. So if you turn and you trust Christ, you will see God's faithfulness to all his promises. And finally, maybe you're just struggling because you simply just don't obey Jesus. You don't believe that he is a king with all authority in heaven and on earth. But he is. I don't know. There's no way that I can stand here and convince you that he is. I can assure you that he is. But there is something that you have to decide. You have to make a choice to either submit yourself and surrender to him as king or to stand in opposition to him. And if you stand in opposition to him, may God have mercy on your soul. There is one way by which we can be saved. It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So if you simply don't believe he's king, you're going to struggle. There's going to be struggles. And until the day you come to the point where you accept that he is king and you surrender to him, then God will reveal his wonderful promises to you in him. All of these things we find as we look to a genealogy. Oftentimes we come to genealogies in the scriptures and we read them and we just see a bunch of names that we don't know and we're like, what in the world does this have to do with the stories in the Bible? They're there for a reason. These names point us to Jesus. These names reveal God's promises and how he's faithful to them. These names reveal an opportunity for us to celebrate. So as we look to this genealogy, let us take comfort. Let us rejoice. Let's celebrate who Jesus is. Let's take comfort and rejoice and celebrate that God is faithful to his promises. And let's celebrate and rejoice that this isn't just for a small group of people, but that this message and this hope and this promise is for all nations. We can do that. And that's what we do this Christmas. We celebrate these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and the promises that are fulfilled in him. May we find all of our hope, all of our joy, all of our uh, answers to every question we have. May we find them in him. We thank you that we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.